Welcome in. I'm so glad you made us part of your day. I'm Tony Moore, expert food and beverage headhunter, semi-professional podcaster, and I interview the best heads in business to bring you all the important trends shaping the $6 trillion food and beverage industry. My totally awesome brands featured here take us deep into the world of sustainability and the plant-based food movement, the up-and-coming CBD and good-for-you categories. How about the purpose and mission-based companies striving to make real change in our world? They're here too. The latest in food tech. You want to learn how to build a brand, maybe scale a brand? I've got you covered. Don't forget to subscribe and follow me on LinkedIn. Stay tuned. We got a really, really great show today. Um, so, Thaddeus, is this your is this your first time with with us on the podcast? No, actually, this is my first time on this side of it, though, where I'm going to actually be like in a discussion. You know, you you did interview me a while back on uh, how to build an effective sales organization, episode forty. Episode forty. That's right. Winning at work. No, you're right. You're you're right. You you so technically you are. So you've made the crossover from guest to co-host. I'm like in my sophomore season, so hopefully I don't hit that sophomore slump. Well, I tell you what, it's going to be reflected in your pay. Okay. All right. And right now you're at zero. So let's see how, let's see how we do. I thought it would make a lot of sense though, honestly, for you to be here because with your background in food, distribution, funding, and just understanding really what's happening in the good for you market, I thought it would make a lot of sense for you to be part of this conversation that we're going to have today with Mana Tree Investments. This is, I think it's a fascinating company, just the world itself of where we're going, you know, because this, there's been a huge movement toward people wanting health and wellness. Have, were you starting to see this when you were back at, at uh, Samazon? Oh, absolutely. And, and even prior to that, I think if you look at the the space of plant-based food, health, wellness, uh, this little pandemic that we're coming out of right now, I think it really made a lot of people focus a little bit more on their health and wellness. And certainly the brands that exist and that are that are coming out of the woodwork, so to speak, or out of the wilderness, if you will, um, they are uh, definitely in that space. And those are the ones that are winning right now, I think, with the hearts and minds of consumers. And certainly consumers are voting with their dollars for those brands. Yeah, I think it has accelerated it. And that's why we really wanted to have Brent Drever. He's the, the co-founder and president of Manatree. And I, I, Brent, I do want to get into a little bit. How did you come up with the name for Mana? I think I get several images that come to mind. But before we get into that, Brent has over 25 plus years, I'm sorry, I did just date you, 25 plus years leading authority and operational excellence centered on strategy development, business execution through optimization of process and technology and organizational design, vast experience with companies across a diverse range of industries, serving in various management roles at GE Capital, PricewaterhouseCoopers, uh, and so on. And so Brent, thank you First of all, for taking some time out of of building these uh, amazing uh, companies in your portfolio to come talk to Thaddeus and I. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So, let's start with just Manatree. I mean, Thaddeus and I were kind of talking offline. That sounds kind of uh, biblical. I don't know if you were really trying to go that route of 
what that kind of conjures in mind. So what's what, what's behind the name? Well, I I wouldn't say that uh, we're predominantly a religious organization, but it it from a biblical standpoint, it's food from heaven, and so. Manatree invests in improving human health through nutrition. So we said, well, why not just parlay those two together? So, you know, it's food from heaven. I love, that's what I was, that's what I thought. That's what I was hoping for, that it would kind of bring that element in. And of course, being a private equity firm, you really are, ironically, you are also providing that manna if you will, to your investment companies to help them. And then, of course, they in turn are giving that to the consumer. Is that where the, the is that where the term angel investor comes from? <laughs> uh, yeah, you're just bringing them all together, right? All right. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, I'll I'm not sure of that, but uh, it's a good See, question. Yeah, we're going to keep you maybe on the, the guest side from now on, Thaddeus. No, okay, sorry um, about that. A little more background on MANA is it's it's really focusing on those uh, emerging brands focused on human health. And we're not here to talk through your entire portfolio, obviously. We're, we've got some other topics that we want to get into. But maybe give us a little bit of background just on the company and your, your thought process for how you've brought these current investments into your portfolio. Maybe talk about one or two of them. Yeah, no, thank you. So really what we look for is we invest across the entire food supply chain. So from production all the way to what arrives on a plate through a you know CPG or a consumer packaged goods brand. And when we're looking at companies, we're trying to understand how is this company improving human health? And what we are very careful about is the moment you talk about human health, you start to create camps and camps are those that say, oh, well, you've got to be paleo or you've got to be plant-based or you have to be vegan or pescatarian or whatever it might be. We're, we're, we're not into that. We're into meeting the consumer where they're at, but we're also trying to clean up the ingredients. So some of the investments that we look at, you know, for us, we look at about 300 companies a year and we investing in, you know, roughly uh, three to four a year. And so maybe 1%, um, one to 2%. And we're trying to find those companies that are really making a difference that are on the right, you know, we're growth equity predominantly. So we want to look at companies that a capital infusions can actually take them to the next level of their growth profile. And, um, we also like to say that a lot of times we're the last money in before a, a sizable exit. So that's generally where we start. So not wanting to focus on any of the camps and really not being siloed, it's enabled you to use a, a broader spectrum, if you will, right, in terms of the types of organizations, companies that you'd like to bring in. When you look at the consumer sentiments and kind of where things are trending, what do you think consumers are really expecting now? Well, I think what we experienced over the last 50 years helps us understand where we're headed. The last 50 years in the food industry, it was about driving down the cost, which then started to introduce challenges with the actual diet uh, or what people were eating. So when you start to say, do it cheaper and faster, the food quality went down. So now we've got this big you know, epidemic around you know, obesity is a good example. 
And so what we see consumers doing now is they want more transparency and where did my food come from? How is it produced and what's the health benefits associated with it? And of course, you always want to manage to taste and texture. So the innovation of food is really evolving rapidly because of, I think a lot of it's tied to even having a smartphone. You know, you can see a video of how food is being produced. And unfortunately, there's been stories over the last three or four years that haven't painted a very pretty picture on certain industries because they got an inside look on how food is being produced and how animals are being treated and so forth. So there's more of an intense focus on the transparency, but then I'll throw one more element into it is the sustainability of the food system. You know, the planet, you know, human population is growing so rapidly is we've got to be able to make sure that what we are taking away from the earth is actually being replenished. And that's a big part of sustainability. You just can't eat yourself out of the available food or crops or whatever it might be. So there's a lot of innovation going on, but I would say that consumers have access to more information today than they've ever had. And that's actually for us, that's benefiting us. But I think some of the more incumbent brands, it's been challenging because it, maybe their practices are not up to par or they would prefer them not to be visible. Certainly uh, glad you brought up a, a lot of great points there, uh, specifically around food transparency. I think a lot of consumers are really interested in knowing more about where their food comes from uh, and less processing and things like that. One of the things you talked about was the cost of food. And how over the last 50 years, we've been trying to drive that cost down. Through, have you seen through innovation and technology that we're able to now uh, basically make better for you products or healthier products that are still affordable? Or is that still one of the challenges? Yeah, it's, I would say it's, it's happening. I mean, we're seeing more and more foods affordable, but it's still a challenge because we have to challenge the behavior of the consumer. And where are you buying your food is a good example. And how are you buying your food? And, and so if everything is bought, which we say like in a grocery store, in the center section of the grocery store, you're avoiding the perimeter, which is where the perishable food is. And that's where the nutrient density comes. So if you go to the produce section, some people avoid that because of the shelf life of produce is not as long as something that might be in a package, you know, on a shelf. So we have to, the, the consumers have to play their part in this and understand that it's not, the, the food companies can't always produce the cheapest product and the healthiest product all together, but there's pathways to it. And I think it's just really important that the consumer has to be a part of the process. And if you actually give yourself the time to think through it, you can actually enjoy healthier food that can be cost-effective but you have to be creative about it. And it's just not as simple as pulling the next box off the shelf to say, I hope this helps. You got to think about it a little bit and changing consumer behaviors. I mean, if we've been, you know, in the food system for the last 50 years doing similar things, it's hard to change that behavior. Sometimes that indulgence or that food that you're like is so good, it can be pretty bad for you. And we've got to figure out a replacement for it. But I think the more we see brands challenging that status quo of just like we can do better, it's going to be better. And the consumers will start to see the optionality that they would like to see and get the foods on their plate that they enjoy um, consuming. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the education plays a big part of it. And to some extent, you know, if you look at things generationally, uh, focusing maybe on some of the younger generation, the college and university students that are making choices for the first times, 
outside of the home, you start to really see that education level increase significantly, that curiosity exists, and they really demand to know where the food comes from. They want better options, and they want to have that that visibility and transparency. And so I think that um, that, that is going to play and continues to play a big role in what we're doing. Yeah, think about that. Like, you know, it's funny. I was visiting my alma mater, uh, University of Colorado, for a football game in the last couple of years and walking through campus and looked at the dorm. And then I was talking to some students, you know, through friends and whatnot that their kids now go there. And what they get for food in the dorms is very different than the experience I got. And it's almost like this chef prepared meals. And now, you know, universities have to be um, competitive. And so they're providing more amenities and food is one of them. But I just remember that, you know, the staple was kind of the cereals out of the big containers and then the ramens and the things like that. That's changed. But to your point, Thaddeus, is, you know, the younger generation is challenging the status quo of food. And they're asking a lot of really good questions because they can pull it up on their phone. They're used to having their phone for everything that they do. And they can look at a menu and they can say, this is not healthy. And there's a lot of resources there. So they're challenging. And that's what's been very unique for us in our journey as investors is, you know, we have investors that, you know, maybe in their 70s and they're saying, I just didn't have options like this over the last 50 years. And they just kind of get caught in this one cycle. But then you teach them that there are other avenues to, you know, of food that's healthier for you. And frankly, it can taste good. And then they're, they're caught on. And so I think it's interesting. We see it because we've got different stages of investors and the younger investors are, are all about what we're doing because it's just part of how they were brought up and they're trying to make change in the, in the world. And then some of our investors that have been around a few years, they, they, they look at things differently, but they're not opposed to it. It's just part of the education, as you alluded to earlier. Well, as you know, as an investment partner, one of the key components is seeing your brands grow and it's, it, it benefits, of course, you know, mana, it benefits the consumer. So it is important for the companies to grow as they grow. They're able to increase their distribution. They're able to reach more people with these, you know, innovative products. And the challenge though, is how do you help? How do you create a brand or help a brand begin to scale. And this is really our, our theme today. And this is a, a topic that you spend a lot of time, right? Thinking about this is, you know, your role. So how would you even open up this conversation with us about you're a young brand, you're trying to scale and here's some things that here's some steps you can take. Thaddeus, I know you've lived through this as well. So I think I'd kind of love to hear, you know, your, your take on this. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, in the last two companies I've been with, you know, dealing with uh, outside investments and what's important and how to scale and how to grow. And uh, you have a lot of people that uh, have a lot of passion when they start a business. Uh, and then as they continue to grow, they need to expand their talent pool in particular. Uh, and then they also need to understand where to really use the dollars to make the biggest impact to scale. And so what I, what I would ask Brent is there's got to be probably maybe three or four things that prevent a leadership team at an investment company of yours or anyone's from really scaling to that next level. Uh, and I think one of the things 
we talked about previously was uh, what got you here won't get you there. And so <laughs> I, I kind of really like that terminology and that's the first time I've heard it. And I'm definitely going to continue to use that as I move forward. But, um, but those three to four barriers that prevent the leadership from excelling would be, I'm really curious to know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, it, it's something that I focus on quite a bit. And, and think about this as an entrepreneur. So you've grown your company to 50 million, let's say, in revenue, and you're seeing a lot of traction and you're super excited. And then Manatree comes along and Manatree saying, hey, what if we invest, you know, additional X dollars into your company to really accelerate your growth? You get excited, you know, as, as an entrepreneur and you're really like, wow, what, what could we do with that? And I use that phrase, you know, what got you here will not get you there with founders and executives for a reason, because typically we'll start with the CEO. So CEO, you know, for common language is chief executive officer. I typically see it as when we make our investment, the CEO is the chief everything officer, because not only are they trying to run the day-to-day -day of the firm, they're also doing sales and marketing and they're raising funds and they're doing HR and they're doing all these different roles. And that's not going to get to you, get you where you need to go. If you're trying to do everything, and there's a couple of reasons why that happens. I mean, the first typically is control, is we, I, I want to be a part of everything because I'm the one who does it right. And nobody else is as good as me. So that there's a reality that you have to check and say, that's probably not very true. And the second one is fear. I mean, they typically it's fear because they don't, they don't know how to bring in other leaders. I mean, one of our companies we invested into a couple of years ago, it took me six to nine months working with the CEO to convince him that he needed to bring on additional talent onto his team. And and last year alone, we added a chief sales officer, head of HR, head of operations, and a CFO. And part of it, he didn't have some of those roles at all. He never had a salesperson like that. He never had HR. But I'm like, if we're going to quadruple the size of your company, we need more talent. And so we have to teach them the aspect of getting out of their own way. That's the first barrier to scale is typically the mental aspect of the executive team or the founder. They think that they... They're the only way that it can get there. And we have to teach them that there's probably different ways that are a little bit more fluid. You mentioned you looked at roughly 300 companies to make a, a choice to invest in, you mm -hmm. know, just a, a small fraction. Do you assess and look at the willingness of the chief everything officer to become the CEO? Does that actually factor in now that you know it seems to be a problem or do you think you can kind of coach through that? That's a great question. I mean, for us, you know, part of it is our own assessment of the executive team or the CEO to say, are they going to be able to grow with the company? But we don't pretend to, to have all the answers. And so we use like, as an example, in this case, we use a third party or a partner of ours that does an assessment of all the executive leaders before we make an investment to, to understand how do they respond to situations that are, you know, decision-making or how do they respond when there's a crisis or how do they respond for teamwork, things like that. So we use some quantitative tools and then we also overlay that with our qualitative assessments and, and working within the network to understand how does this CEO work. And I can tell you, we've let many of companies go from an investment standpoint because we just believe that we could never work alongside of that CEO because they're, they're, they're stuck in the way it works 
or it's their leadership. I have a funny example of this where a company we actually really liked and we liked the CEO and we liked the executive team. And so we started talking to him about developing a board. He had never had a board of directors. And I said, all right, well, you know, we're going to come in, we're going to make boards. We typically like to create balanced boards, you know, where we've got some independents, we've got founders, we've got investors and so forth. And we're walking through the process and he goes, yeah, I'm fully supportive of doing a board. I said, great. He goes, but I have one request as I have to have a hundred to one voting rights. And we said, well, <laughs> we said, we appreciate uh, the interaction with you. And then we just moved on. We just said, we appreciate wow. it and good luck in your capital raise. But he was raising a lot of money. and But that's that's the stuff that you have to uncover early. Because if you get into a situation, if you don't find those things out, I mean, you're always going to, not everybody, you can't find everything out. But, you right. know, you get those questions out there and you realize we're just not compatible. And it might work for other people, but that just didn't wouldn't work for us. That, that, that's uh, a great example. I don't and, know and, how <laughs> just not bursting into, into laughter after the fact you said you want to build a balanced board. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it, it was story. humorous. I, I, you know what? I actually appreciate comic, you know, comic relief. I mean, it was, a, you know, how do you respond to that? You just, I just said, thanks. I really appreciate the uh, feedback. And then shortly thereafter, just said, we're going to pass on this opportunity and yeah. you move on. Cause you know, at that point in time, if that comment comes out of them, there's going to be many more to come down the road. And you just have to know like, Hey, we signed up for this and we chose not to sign up for that one for sure. That is a uh, that's a great story, and I can I can imagine uh, you probably have a lot more of those types of stories. One of the things, so we talked about the barrier of getting the uh, the chief everything officer on board uh, to 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 bring on extra talent, and the one thing that I've seen in my career that really stands out, and people have talked about this before, I'm sure, and it's a, it's a line I have that it's uh, don't hire smart people and tell them what to do. And where I'm going with that is, so now you've got this CSO, head of HR, you still have the CEO there, uh, chief finance, whatever. How do you make sure then that they interact together? What what role do you play in helping them all kind of get on the bus and get it moving in the right direction? You know, we, we use simple things. I mean, a, a good example is we do team building exercises. We often have an external facilitator come do that with new executive teams. And you really work with the founder to understand the importance of the team. So you're not, you know, putting them in this autocratic situation where they're just still driving every single decision, understanding how trust works. Uh, one thing that we do is with a lot of our CEOs is we bring in an external executive coach because they've never had that. Like we, we view a lot of our CEOs and executives are like high performance athletes and we've got to teach them the tools to succeed. And so they've just, you know, one common trait that we find with our founders and CEOs is they're gritty. They know how to get things done. They did, they got there for a reason because they, they did those long hours. They made the tough phone calls. They made the difficult decisions, things like that. But to take it to the next level is to be high performance Work with a coach. I mean, coaches are great. I mean, think the greatest athletes in the world. They have un a tremendous amount of coaches. And so we do the same thing. And, and it's usually awkward at the beginning when you recommend it because they're like, am I doing something wrong? No, you're doing a lot of things right. We just want you to be continuously evolving as a leader in this organization. So that's something that we do quite often is bring in executive coaches uh, to really work with our leaders to 
to help them grow um, as a chief executive, whatever it might be from a CFO or, you know, a CEO or COO, whatever it might be. That's fascinating. Yeah, I think I think you can relate to that through throughout sports. But I think that I think you're right. A lot of people forget that in your own career development, having somebody there to help coach you at any phase of your career can be very, very helpful uh, and certainly uh, necessary. Well, you need that third party to help you identify and look at some of your blind spots, but but also really improve upon what you do really well. You know, if you do something really well, then why not accelerate it? Do you find that bringing external talent in from, from anywhere that you're you're trying to find someone who has literally gone from 50 to 100? Do you bring them in so the executives can learn from them and do they leave? What's the, how does that dynamic work? Well, think about it in a couple of different ways is, you know, what got you here? So you were stingy. You didn't spend a lot of money. Um, you didn't invest into human talent. Uh, you tried a lot of different things. Um, and, and the list goes on. And so let's start with the first one is we're asking you to spend money wisely. That's a different behavior. And so when you just bootstrap every single thing you do, we're asking you to spend money wisely on your next executive hire. They're not going to come for free. And so let's look at that return on investment. And can you 10X that, you know, whatever the work they're doing, can it 10X to the next level? And so that is a piece that we work really hard or your approach to marketing. I mean, we, we invest in companies that have never even thought about marketing. Now, marketing is a very dangerous place sometimes. And when you bring a lot of capital in because you create what we call the marketing cliff where you just spend, spend, spend to acquire customers and all of a sudden you're out of money. And then the whole thing just drops. So you got to be wise about it. But hiring a good marketer is going to help you navigate that. Where do you spend your money? How do you spend your money? What's important? How do you measure it? And so forth. So I find that it's really the grittiness is what we love, but it's teaching them that sometimes you got to figure out where you can create a few shortcuts in the game. And shortcuts often to me comes with talent. If you can actually get talent, you can shortcut it because the learning curve is going to be accelerated. You know, if you have somebody that's seasoned financial professional, they're not only going to be able to balance the books. Hey, that's great. That's more of an accounting function, but they're going to actually think about capital allocation and think about how do you leverage debt? I mean, a lot of times we see debt as an example where let's just pay it all off. It doesn't always make sense. I mean, if you've got good terms, you can actually invest that capital elsewhere for your growth. And so we just have to teach that side of it. So a lot of this is the education side. And I, and I would say that, you know, for Manatree, you know, we were rated last year as one of the friendliest firms to work with by, you know, in private equity by Inc. Magazine. And a good example is because we, we sit with the CEOs or the founders and walk them through this. It's not, we don't force this upon you. Like, I'm not going to tell you you have to have a coach. I'm not going to tell you that you have to hire all these people. What I'm going to show you is a formula and why we do this and how it can be beneficial to the organization. And often it comes with uh, a lot of vulnerability because those CEOs, they're, they're nervous and they're trying to figure this out too. But as soon as you establish that trust and, and we're all in it together, then you create these win-win scenarios that you can do some really good work together. That I think that was the aha moment for me because 
they if they have been bootstrapping and they've been very frugal, it's almost like they're having to be taught how to manage a a much larger PL. And yeah, I think about these um, really gifted athletes that come into the NFL, right? They come in, they get these huge multi-million dollar contracts. And one of the first things the NFL does, they sit them down and they bring in financial advisors and they say, look, your life's going to change. You need to start thinking like this. In a lot of ways, I don't want to oversimplify, but it seems like that's really what you're doing with them. You're saying you're getting this huge influx. You can think differently now and you're helping them become more flexible and how they think. And I, I feel like I'd be a prime candidate for that because I feel like if, if I came into that, you'd have to sit me down and talk to me about, you can loosen up. I feel like my ultra conservative nature would could hold me back and you're giving them permission to, to grow. That is, you wanted to ex- kind of expand on that a little bit? I, I did a little bit. And I think maybe what, what I'm trying to get at here where it's, it's boils down to, I think a lot of a lot of the bootstrap mentality is opportunistic. And so you have a great product, you go out and you kind of want to go be everything to everybody because you see the sales rolling in. And maybe, Brent, what you're talking about is helping them be a little bit more structured and strategic about their decision-making process. Something to that maybe you can say more about? Yeah, think about this as an executive. Your job is to make decisions. And the longer you take to make decisions, it typically starts to hinder the organization. So one of the things that I think about when you're talking about barriers to to scaling an organization is I think a significant barrier that comes up all the time in any organization is saying yes too much because you want to be the answer to everything. And let's just use it in the context of food is we just want more SKUs. We just want more products. That's not a way to scale a business. I mean, you've got to focus on the ones that are working and you've got to learn to say no. And that is a hard, hard thing to do. And it's no across the board and every decision counts. And so when I think about products as an example, and when I mentioned SKUs, I have to work with teams to say, get rid of that product. Like that, that one is because what they say is, oh, we're only, you know, it's it's 2% of our revenue. Okay, great. But how much time are you putting into it? How much are you actually spending to get that product off there? And here's the one thing that usually is the hiccup with launching new products is the total addressable market for that new product just may not even exist. So it's really expensive to train the consumer that this is a great product. And so you just got to be really careful about it. But that whole you know, don't want to disappoint and that, um, yes, 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 yes. And it's hard, like being a CEO, it's, it's, you know, I've been a CEO in my past and it's, it's lonely at the top and you got to say, you want to say yes to your team because you want to please them. But at one point in time, if you want to scale an organization, the more disciplined you are around saying no, you'll see dramatic results come with it. That really reminds me, I'm kind of flashing back to Malcolm Gladwell, you know, good to great. And they, they really hone in on, you have to have your, you know, your, your, your hedgehog, you've, your two or three things that, you know, you do really, really well. And I think you've just said that that's what you're really helping them see, get rid of those other skews, focus on the things that are going to make you a lot of money. 
profitable war, whatever your, your metrics are, whatever the, the, those are. Is that is that kind of what you're alluding to here? Yeah, I mean, it's it's fun in organizations to chase shiny objects. You know, the, hey, that looks great. We could do a lot with that. But the problem is it's it's the hidden cost. And the hidden cost is the time that your team spends on that shiny object. And you're chasing that versus putting the energy into that hedgehog or that one to two products that are really making a difference that to say, where could we take that? Now, let's not lose sight of the importance of innovation because sometimes putting out products, you got to try. But what I tell teams and when I work with teams, it's like have the decision structure already established when you launch the product to say, this is when we're going to stop or start or make a pivot. Because if you just keep holding on, keep holding on, your hidden costs get so high and then your actual hard costs even go higher. And then it's um, it's a problem to unwind. And, and the challenge there is then you've got to manage the relationships with your retailers and your consumers and so forth. So it's just know when to say when. And, and there isn't a perfect answer to that. I mean, I don't have a formula that says, hey, it, at three months, you should know. I mean, there's time it takes for different products to be successful or I say the same thing about hiring talent. I mean, we that's one of the reasons why there's barriers to scale is you just don't bring in talent. But sometimes you bring in people you think they're amazing and you're just afraid to let them go because they're not working out. You know, and I always have this motto in my organization is that we're super duper slow to hire and we fire fast. And it's not fire in a, in a brutal way. It's just, you know, we, we, we're humble humans in our organization and we believe in each other and so forth. But there are times that it just doesn't work. And that's the ability to say, you know what? We got to move on. You know, it's no different than a product. It's no different than sometimes it doesn't work and move on because you're taking away from an opportunity for somebody else to succeed. I love that because it goes along with your saying no. You talked about saying no to product. You talked about saying no to certain things. But saying no to talent or people, that's probably the hardest thing. And so I'm really glad that you brought that up and saying that you you hire slow and fire, or let people go fast. I think that's really poignant uh, as it comes to an organizational structure and probably one of the most difficult things to do. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Oh, I just, I mean, the people piece breaks your heart. I remember the first time I had to let somebody go at General Electric and the president sat me down of the division or, or the company that I worked with and he just said, you're young in your career. This is going to be a hard thing to do. And he goes, throughout your entire career, if this is not hard to do, then you need to move on because you're dealing with somebody's livelihood. So it's tough. But at the end of the day, I know as a senior executive, what is your job? Your job is to make good decisions on behalf of the company. And sometimes that has to do with people. And um, you got you to gotta make those tough decisions. And you're exactly right, Thaddeus. Those are the hardest decisions. It's, it's easy to make a decision on a product. But you, you grow up with these people. And, and especially when we come in with capital, they, they, they may have had this person in the organization for three or four years that just sweat with them and just really worked hard. But they're not going to get them to the next level. And it's tough. And you just work with them through that and, you know, lead with empathy and just, you know, work through it and do the right thing. But make the decision ultimately is what is most important for the organization. Yeah, I imagine it's it's even harder with people that have been there from the beginning or have years in, you know, the the, the sweat and the blood equity into that company. And I was even thinking when you bring new people in, that's it's tough too because you you make a decision, you think you're making the right decision, you do your your vetting and you do your, you know, sometimes third party analysis. And then 
your ego can kind of get in the way. You know, you thought they were going to work. It's a reflection on you. The only way to fire fast I have found is you really have to have real discernible results that you have to be seen early on. We have a little expression, you know, um, some, you know, the very smallest seeds, they still do show progress when they're watered and nurtured and given sun. And the ones that sprout right away, that's the indicator. Yeah. I mean, that, that's just the reality. And, and you, you know that often they feel the same thing on the other side that they're either not making, it's not a cultural fit or they may not have the right um, energy behind it or whatever it might be. And so, but I just go back to, it is your job as an executive to make the tough decisions and it can be done in a very respectful way. And, you know, it's it's one of those things as, as you're alluding to, Tony, is if you're not seeing it from the get-go and you give them a few chances to to, you know, with feedback and so forth, and if it's not there, guess what? It's not going to be there three months or six months or nine months from now. I mean, human beings don't just respond that way. If they haven't responded after a couple sessions of feedback, it's probably just not in their skill set, their DNA or whatever it may be. And, and that's when you know it's time to move on. And it's so hard because you've worked so hard to get the right talent in and you spent money doing it and he spent a lot of time. But you know, there's when I, when I grew up in the general electric system, we used this grading system, which is a bit tough, but it's A, B, and C players. A's are the ones that are just rock stars. They're shining. They're doing great work. B's are those that are super steady. They they work really hard and, and your job is to get them up to you know an A. And then they're C players. And the challenge is, is that human nature gravitates towards C players, meaning that I'm going to help this person. I want to help them succeed and so forth. So what are you now doing is you're putting all your energy into an individual or um, that is, is, is not really making a difference for the organization and you're trying to rescue somebody. That's a tough way to look at it, but that's that quantitative. Sometimes you have to step back and say, am I trying to just help somebody here or is this the right thing for this organization? And usually the answer comes rapidly. Did, did you ever get a chance to meet Jack Welch? You know what? I, I did. We, we had a presentation um, I was young in my career and we had a presentation to all the top leaders of General Electric. And so um, one of my colleagues presented to him and then I was there. I got to meet him and then I got to present to the CEO of GE Capital at the time. So um, it was a tremendous training grounds uh, working for GE at the time. And I'm very grateful for that experience. And, you know, he had a lot of Jack Welsh had a lot of energy and it was fascinating to see how the time there was probably 400,000 employees and how he really drove a lot of the behaviors and, and the discipline and, and that culture was so strong. And it's tough as a XG year to see where they're at today. Cause it, it evolved quite a bit uh, in a direction. Yeah, it's tough. It, it's, it's really tough. I I've learned a lot over the years, really just through osmosis. Cause I I've interviewed so many, you know, former GE execs that you could see that structure that, that was put in place and to see what it is now and, the stock price, I, it's just, it's mind boggling. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's mind boggling. It's part of their culture too. I mean, that, that's one thing that I've had to learn throughout my career, just because it worked to GE doesn't necessarily mean it works, you know, elsewhere. And that's important to know, but there's some certain foundational skills, like what we just talked about is very relatable and, um, you know, is, is a great place to be. 
Well, as we begin to wrap up this conversation, because I think we could easily keep going another 30 minutes. Uh, it's a fascinating topic. Are there any other leadership challenges or obstacles that that maybe we haven't discussed yet that you think it's important for us to highlight? You know, I'll say this because of it's so relevant to today in the era that we're in is understanding your supply chain. And it's just a tricky place when you're trying to scale an organization. Supply challenges are real. Every organization is feeling them. And it's strange because who had thought that there'd be a, a world global shortage of sesame seeds at one point in time or that your product, because you're trying to build one of your greenhouses and your steel is stuck out on a barge out in the middle of the ocean or you know things that you just normally wouldn't come across. So scaling an organization, and we see this because we look at so many companies, is it's not that easy to scale, especially when you've got all these external things that are happening right now that are real. And so when you look at a timeline to roll out you know, new products. Example, you know, when we invested into a few companies that are ingredient companies in the first year of COVID, there were not resets for new products. And so it's really hard for an ingredient company to have innovation into, you know, the, the companies they sell into because their retailers were like, we just got to keep food on the shelves. We can't put new products on the shelves, like new entrants. So being aware of your supply chain and the constraints is really, really important and recognize that it's, it's not, you know, magic isn't going to happen for you. You got to be realistic about it and you've got to understand it. it's just not supply chain. It's the workforce management as well. And so, you know, that's been a big, big challenge for many organizations that have a production environment, keeping people healthy. That's first and foremost, most important, but also getting people to show up to work. That's subsided a quit a bit over the last like three to six months. But for a while there, you train people and then they would be gone two days later you know, if you have a production environment. So understanding your supply chain, its weaknesses, and being real realistic around time and cost is just critical. I mean, it just, it doesn't happen the way it did two years ago. Do you see that it's improving at all, at least? Uh, is there a light at the end of the tunnel? It seems to be that way, but do you see that going on now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're seeing the the actual production environments, you know, regaining stability uh, products. You know, people are getting creative I and mean, you look at some of the big retailers where they're getting their own ships and that's moving products quicker and um, using different ports. Um, so I think humans are great at solving complex challenges. So I think it just took a lot of humans to get in there and, and solve some tricky ones. And it's we're not out of the woods, but I can say we're seeing it uh, lighten up a bit. So there definitely is light in the tunnel, but we've got to stay focused because new things will come. And I think with COVID as an example, it just comes and goes, right? I mean, you, you feel like you've made some progress and all of a sudden you've got three or four people out and you're like, what am I going to do now? And then, so you just have to be aware of it. But people's ability to respond has been exceptional. And I give so many people credit and I always have to end with this note. I'm just proud of so many companies for tackling the challenges that the pandemic brought to them because we had in our portfolio, we had CEOs that had to shift production in 72 hours from one state to another, to a new facility, to meet the demands of the retailer and the end consumer. 
I'm so proud of them because that's not easy to do. And what it took is human collaboration, trust, and just genuine respect for each other that you're just trying to do your best. And so I think there's a lot of improvements, long ways to go, but you know, I'm just confident in, in humans to, to be just always out there trying to do the right thing and, and get better. So yeah, I do see light at the end of the tunnel and let's keep at it. I love that because there's, there's hope, right? Like yeah, you said, totally. humans, humans can solve complex problems. But what I've really enjoyed today, uh, Brent, particularly, is that we kind of looked at what your business, what you guys can do to help businesses and why they're succeeding. But you looked at initially at the top, right, at the, at the top. Uh, and then you kind of look, we looked at internally at some of the other talent that you have and whatnot. And then you went external and talked about supply chain. But bringing those three things together can really make a powerful organization. And it's very apparent that you and uh, the rest of the team at Manatree bring that in uh, to the businesses that you invest in. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. And so for these kind of startup brands, or maybe they're, again, kind of tracking toward 50 million, kind of depending on where they are. Are there certain categories that you're looking at and thinking here in 2022, 2023, you, you'd like to get some exposure to that some of these younger companies might um, kind of raise their hand and try to partner with you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we, look at, we look at four stages or elements of the food supply chain. So production, logistics and distribution, the brand side of it, so CBG. Or, or what we call consumer, and then precision nutrition. But what I recommend people do is follow us, get to know us. I mean, you know, we're active on LinkedIn. Manatreepartners.com is our website. If you're really curious, you're thinking about raising capital, we've got a whole form you can fill out and we can talk to you about what does it look like. And if it's not us, I would venture to say that we probably can point in a direction, you know, and we're always looking for companies that, you know, if it's not today, maybe it's a couple of years from now, we're going to be around for a while and doing what we're doing. And um, we just encourage people to, to stick with it and, you know, know that raising capital is challenging, but finding the right partner, it's amazing once you do. And, and, and we're here to help support the companies that we invest into. And we're also very transparent as well. I mean, we see so many deals that, you know, we're, we're pretty quick to say that here's a few of the broken parts in your presentation or your pitch. And um, we don't we don't sugarcoat it because that doesn't help anybody in their journey. But it's also the lens that we look through. So I know it doesn't always make people excited when we give them feedback. But if they ask for it, we're willing to, to share and, and do our best to, to help them along in their journey. Well, we noticed uh, when we talked to you at first, um, Vital Farms was part of your uh, kind of on the website. Obviously, they've gone through an IPO. So that's a that's been a great success story. And um I'm sure there's many more, and I, I think that's one of those brands that everyone remembers. So I think that's a uh, a great example for everyone out there. You know, they can come in, go through this process with you. Obviously, that was right for them to go through an IPO, and um, I guess they they've got their wings now, and they yeah. can. You yeah, like, yeah. like how I did that. You see how I yeah. tied it all in? Yeah, they got their. See, wings. that's why I get paid the big bucks. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that is that. how you wrap up. A podcast. Um, we'll see if it doesn't hit the editing floor. No, yeah. <laughs> um, Brent. Honestly, um, you're you're very um, level headed, 
And I can see where there's a lot of heart, a lot of passion, but you've also learned to, you know, bring in that, you know, analytical side to what needs to be done. And I, I can see that you're your guiding hand kind of over everything. So I really do encourage people to do a little more research, manatreepartners.com, you know, look at the portfolio, as you say, kind of follow you guys online, look at some of the trends. And then there is that partner with us if they, if they just want to learn more. Um, what, what does that look like? I guess as we wrap up, let's say someone does decide to do that. They click the button, they get, they get contacted from you guys and what can they expect and what does that process look like? Yeah. So if you're, if you're raising capital, I mean, there's, there's a form to fill out just saying, tell us a little bit more about you. You know, what type of capital are you looking to raise? What's your time frame, and so forth. But we're always going to start with the simplest question. Are you improving human health through nutrition? And if you can't answer that question, then it's probably probably not the right partner for you. So we see a lot of people saying, "I'm trying to improve human health through, you know, experiences and travel and things like that." We're just that's not what we focus on. There's other groups, and I, I don't know if I'd be a good, um, you know, relayer of of that type of request to another party because we don't follow it. But and then and then once you get into the organization, I mean, typically we're going to tell you like, "Hey, this is something we're curious about." Um, love to meet with you and we'll do a management meeting, um, you know, via the Zoom or whatnot. And then if things keep progressing, we actually invite you to our office. And we actually, our office is in Vail, Colorado. We bring management teams all the time. So most people won't say no to Vail, but they uh, they do come out. We believe in what we do. We actually have a gym in our office. And so we've got, you know, a personal trainer that comes in twice a week. So Anytime we bring teams in, we actually have the trainer come in, do workouts together. We have meals together because our job is to get to know you. You know, we can look at the facts and figures on paper and pretty PowerPoint presentations and, you know, massive Excel spreadsheets on projections. But at the end of the day, we're in the people business and we want to get to know you. And we, more importantly, we want you to get to know us. You know, what, what type of company are we and how are we as a partner? So that's why we say partner with us. And like we started earlier in the conversation or I mentioned, you know, we're only going to invest in about 1% of the companies we talk to, but we're going to be kind to all of them. And sometimes kindness is, is being quick to say no. I mean, that's so I'm not wasting your time. And that's, I know, a disappointment. I mean, when people raise capital, sometimes they, they have talked to hundreds of people and they get so exhausted. I don't want to waste your time. You know, and that's uh, that's something that we pride ourselves on. So then you can get on to that next conversation that might be the, the group that's most interested in you. So it's all part of a journey. And, um, you know, we believe in those those experiences. We call them stakeholder experiences. And so part of it is the experience of people raising capital and getting to know each other and, you know, having meals together and doing a workouts. And sometimes we go skiing and all that kind of fun stuff. But, you know, being based in Vail, we're definitely outdoors type people. So depending on the season when people come, I mean, we've gone fly fishing and sometimes we go hiking and biking and all sorts of fun stuff. So. We could have fun doing. We need this to job. plan a boondoggle out there, Thaddeus. I'm I'm signed up. I think already. we need to do some hands-on uh, vetting of this. I'm 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 packing my gear. I'll be out there in a week. You guys are welcome anytime. <laughs> well, Brent, thank you so much, uh, Brent Drever with Manatree Investments. Wow, what a great conversation today! What a great journey that we had over the past 30, 30 or so odd minutes. Uh, wanted to thank you for your time. Really enjoyed the conversation around scaling brands. And, and what Manatree does to, to help people and talent and really uh, really the passion that you have 
and the, uh, the, the empathy and, and whatnot has just been fantastic. So thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you guys. And I always have to end on, you know, stay healthy and, and have fun with it. Thank you so much. It was fantastic. We'll see you both soon. 